Um, okay, if you're, if you're visiting with us, thank you so much for being here. Peter, thank you for being here yeah. and filling in for our, our awesome Lewis, who's taking a well-deserved break. Thank you, Lewis. We admire you and love you. Um, we're going through the book of Acts because our, really our culture shift in our church is mission love. And what better place to look at that, that idea than the book of Acts? And the book of Acts was the Acts of the Apostles after Jesus had died and resurrected. And these kind of were their actions. This was the start of the church. And last week I left you with Peter preaching a message to the, to the Jews and, and those who were converted to Judaism in Jerusalem at the festival of Pentecost because this rabbi known as Jesus of Nazareth had died and some were hearing that he resurrected from the dead. And so as these Jews were there celebrating the Pentecost, they came across the 12 apostles who were speaking in a foreign tongue. They were speaking actually their language from Cappadocia, Pontus, Arab, you know, Pamphylia. They, it was a, a miracle. And these people were like, how is this even possible that they're talking in a different language? And we know they're from Galilee. And Peter explains that the Holy Spirit, what that was, what was told to us about the prophet Joel, that this day would happen and it's happening now. And there's this miracle and they just can't believe it. And then, and then Peter goes on to cite two Old Testament Psalms to show them that the rabbi they knew as Jesus of Nazareth, the rabbi they saw in these villages, the rabbi they saw healing people, miraculous things that he was doing from town to town, up from Galilee down to Judea. They heard about this rabbi. Thousands have seen him. He was so popular. And he's there to tell them that this Jesus who was crucified by the Romans was actually the Messiah. And he points to two Old Testament Psalms that prove that it was Jesus that David was talking about, not himself, because David in the Psalm referred to, and you will not leave your holy one in the grave. We know that David is dead and his tomb is right next to Jerusalem, and they, he pointed at it and says, it's over there. He was talking about the Messiah. And this phenomenon of the speaking in tongues is proof that he is the res resurrected Messiah. And so people are like, blown. they're like, this is, this is incredible. And what, what's happened to them was there something inside them starts to change. They go from doubting to really realizing from the Bible that Jesus was the Messiah. And they were witnessing these 12 apostles who walked with Jesus, speak in tongues, uh, different languages I'm talking about. And it's connected to the Messiah. So they're realizing this. And in Acts chapter 36, this is the psalm that, that Peter quotes. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make enemies of the footstool of your feet. And then Jesus had this interaction with the Pharisees. If he's the Lord, how can he say my Lord? And they were like, oh my gosh, he's right. How can there be two lords up there? And so realizing he was the Messiah. And then so they, they really, get, their hearts are like on the tipping point of this emotional height that Peter says these words. 
Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. The word of God reads that the crucified Jesus was both Christ and he was Lord, which means the Lord means supreme in authority. He's able to rule and dispose equality with God. That's why the Pharisees wanted to kill Jesus, because he always claimed that he was God's equal. And Peter, Peter is saying, you crucified the Messiah and the Lord. They're the same. And imagine if you're a Jewish guy hearing this. Here's Peter, a fisherman, pointing to two psalms that are were mysterious now. And it means it's so clear now to you. You're going, we, this was the Messiah? And they start to wonder. And they start to, to really question themselves. In verse 37 it says, when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? That word cut to the heart means to pierce thoroughly, to agitate violently in your mind. They were like, oh my goodness. Have you ever done something you completely regretted in your life? That's the feeling they had was absolute agitation that they realized that they had just killed their Messiah. That's cut to the heart. And for some of you, you've, you haven't come across that scripture maybe in quite a long time. Maybe you, your last time you really looked at it was when you first studied the Bible and you're like, oh, I felt it 20 years ago. Do you feel it now? Does that passage still mean to you back now what it does back then or when it did back then? We can't lose our grip and our reality to the cross and our own sins to this day. Even though we walk faithfully in Jesus after being baptized, this is still an important part of keeping our hearts soft. Cut to the hearts. To strike or to prick. And the Holy Spirit, one of its main functions is the is to convict men, us, and not only to guide us, but to convict us of our sins. And so, this, it was, as it, this was a declaration and an accusation. You killed Jesus, and they're like, what do we do? I remember when I first studied the Bible, and I came across this passage. And then, you know, the guys were telling me, you know, the darkness and sin and the cross and... I, just, I was overwhelmed with my sin because there was a lot of it. They asked me to write a, like a little letter to God. I said, I need, a, I need a book, a letter, I mean, a little note. There was so much in there, so many, so many things that I regret and I wish I would have done differently. And it was all coming into my mind and melting this veneer of hardness that I had over my heart. Because what, what it meant was I had to stop playing church and I had to start being a disciple. It meant that I, I just couldn't go and check in on a weekly Sunday, touch some water, touch my forehead, and just consider it all good. That had to stop. And I realized that. And that was the moment for me that I realized that I had to, had to knock it off. Just believing and then living my own life. Because this really pricked me. 
their question had a ring of desperation. If the Jewish people had crucified their Messiah and he was now exalted, what was left for them to do? What could, what must they do? Well, Peter gives them one of the greatest answers for all of mankind. This passage is an ancient passage that has lost meaning in our Christian world, if you can believe that. He says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, the promises for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. Peter tells them how to be saved. He first uses the word repent. Many people mistake that word to mean, I'm going I'm to turn action and turn around. It actually doesn't mean behavior. Although you might have been taught that, it was incorrect. It's the changing of your mind. It's a shift in what you believe. And then that changes your behavior. A lot of us, we can change our behavior, but never change our mind. We've been doing that for years sometimes. We just do things without thinking about it. Repentance is a change of perspective. It says to change your outlook is the meaning of the word. To have a change of heart. To reverse the direction of your life. And the results are obviously you're changing your conduct. But it changes here internally. And then we change. He says that. Because a lot of these guys, they didn't go home and fix their situation. Because they get baptized right after this. They didn't go, hold on, Peter, I got to go home and repent my actions. They got baptized right there. Some of them probably had mistresses. Some of them were in adultery. You know, they didn't go over there and break up. They dealt with it right here. Because when they left here, then they dealt with it. See, a lot of times we get confused and we think, if I just change my behavior, maybe I'm really repenting. And then we have this frustration in our Christianity. Gosh, I can't change, of course. But if you changed up here, if you changed in here. And he says, repent. And then he says, be baptized. The word is immersion. Just like, like drenched in water, like plunged in water. You know, I was growing up, they just kind of splashed you, splish, splash. <laughs> Until I really realized what that meant, it changed everything. Was this a Jewish baptism? Because, Gio, they were Jewish, and it was a Jewish holiday. Go back one. Was it only Jewish people? No, it says, it says for all who are far off. It says, for all whom the Lord or God would call. It didn't matter if you were Jewish or Gentile. This was the entrance into Christianity. And what I'm about to show you is shocking. Next slide. So, along the years of the history of Christianity, baptism has been hijacked. The belief today that baptism washes your sins away, they would call you a lunatic today. 
Today you would be considered, that's not true. Because after Martin Luther penned that thesis on the Roman Catholic Church, he changed the doctrine of baptism. It changed like that overnight. It became, if you believe, you're saved. Just like that. And from that point on in America, churches were founded on the belief of, of just my faith. That's part of the answer, but it's not the full picture. People that print your Bibles became institutionalized. And churches were created, and they printed the Bible. And guess what they put in their Bible? In the little commentary underneath. Just believe. And so for the last 700 years or so, 600 years on our math may be off. Baptism is no longer essential to your Christian. It's an option if you want to. So let's take a look at not just what Peter said. Let's take a look at what the men who came after Peter. Peter died and the church was still existing. Let, let's look at, the, look at this quote. This is from a man named Justin Martyr, who was a lawyer, who became a Christian, who was defending the faith when it was illegal in the Roman Empire to be a Christian. He says this in defense of Christianity, and he's talking about how one becomes a Christian. He says, there's no other way to obtain God's promise than this to become acquainted with Christ, to be washed in the fountain spoken of by Isaiah for the remission, which means forgiveness, of sins. And for the remainder to live sinless lives. Justin Martyr, uh, Trifo, chapter 44, 110 A.D. And that's just Justin. Let's, let's, let's try another guy. Maybe another, somebody else is this. On the fifth day, the living creatures which was produced from the waters were produced through, which is also revealed the manifold wisdom of God in these things. For who, can, who could count their multitude and various kinds? He's kind of making an analogy. Moreover, the things proceeding from the waters were blessed by God that this also might be a sign of men's being destined to receive repentance and remissions of sin through the water and the laver of regeneration as many as come to the truth and are born again and receive blessings from God. Theophilus 1.15 These are the early Christian teachers living after Peter and the apostles. And this is what they were teaching people. They were defending Christianity. And one of the things that was under attack was baptism. It was under attack back then, and it's under attack today. It's the same argument. It doesn't save you. They say otherwise. It doesn't wash your sins away. They say otherwise. Let me give you another guy. Arrhenius, 120. As we are lepers in sin... We are made clean from our old transgression, which means sin, by means of the sacred water and the invocation of the Lord. We are thus spiritually regenerated as newborn infants, even as the Lord has declared, except a man be born again through water and the Spirit, he shall not enter the kingdom of heaven. They were doing the same Bible studies back then as we are now. Can you believe that? But this teaching has been hijacked. And if you're sitting here today and you're wondering that you grew up in a church 
that didn't teach this, and you're starting to realize, wait a minute, that means was I? Yeah, that's what I'm getting at. Many people grow up in churches that are, that are, they steer away from this. They avoid this. They don't want to talk about this. And this was the ancient documents after Jesus resurrected, the apostles died, and these guys were, these guys were witnesses to them, and they're teaching the same thing. Next slide. How about in 340 AD? This is like 320 years after Jesus, or 20, 30, 30, 35 years after Jesus. From baptism, I like his name, Ariphahat, the Persian sage. Sounds like a cool guy. From baptism, we receive the spirit of Christ. At the same time, or the same moment, in which the priests invoke the spirit, now you hear that word priest, it's starting to become not just the Christian church, but it starts to turn into the Catholic church. The priests invoke the Spirit, heaven opens, and he descends and rests upon the waters, and those who are baptized are clothed in him. The Spirit is, the abs- is absent from all those who are born of the flesh until they come to the water of rebirth, and then they receive the holy baptism. The second birth, that through baptism, they receive the Holy Spirit. After the 400 AD, baptism changes. It no longer is adults. Now it's anyone who's born, and they start to baptize every infant they see. And they do that for hundreds of years, and it's still going on today. But I wanted to show you the history, because it's important for you to understand, if you're here visiting with us, you have to really go to the Bible. You know, today I looked at commentaries, and the commentaries say the opposite of what I just showed you. Because the commentaries were written by men who lived in the 21st and 20th century and the 19th century. They lived almost 2,000 years after Jesus. So am I going to believe these guys who were right there, or am I going to believe the guys who were, who were 2,000 years removed? My common sense tells me these guys were there. Peter said it. These guys witnessed it. These guys are teaching it. But every time I open a commentary, it says the exact opposite. No, no, it doesn't really mean that. And they use these fancy Greek words to say, well, he really means this. And I have to really learn Greek to understand what they've been saying to me. When it was very clear, it says to repent and be baptized. That's what it says. But they established their churches on faith alone. So the ability for them to turn and admit it is so difficult. And it's so hard. That's why it's important for you to know the history. Because history repeats itself. That's why you have to know it. Baptism was hijacked at the highest levels of the spiritual forces of darkness. Satan works really hard to keep this hidden from most people. He doesn't want everyone to know this. Because then you have to act on it. So this baptism, these forefathers. What about Paul, the apostle? He was in the book of Acts. He was a Pharisee. He knew the Bible. So Paul, one of the greatest Pharisees of all time, who knew the Bible, and he hated the Christian church, and he was persecuting the Christian church, and he was arresting the Christians, he just despised them. Gets met by Jesus on the road to Damascus, and he tells the story of his conversion. 
And look what he tells in his conversion. Next slide, please. That's Cyril. We'll skip him. There's another guy. If you want to look it up, there's another guy. Here we go. I mean, I could show you hundreds of slides about history. But here is Paul, the apostle. He's recounting his conversion. He's telling the governor how he became a Christian. He met Jesus. He was blind. He went to, he went to go see one of the guys you know, in the town. And the town, he, he put his hands on him. He was able to see. And then this is what is told to Paul, the apostle, as he recovers from his blindness from seeing the Messiah. And what are you waiting for? Get up, be baptized, and wash your sins away. Does that sound like the, what, the, what the early fathers taught? Didn't it sound similar? That's what the Bible teaches. But that's been hijacked. But you know what's happening now in mainstream Christianity? If you've been a disciple 30 years, you'll appreciate this. If you've been a follower, the, the, the mainstream Christian churches are now using the word discipleship. They're now using the word multiplying disciples. They're now using the word discipleship partners. I saw that in my little Twitter feed and I almost fell out of my chair. I had to respond. I had to say something. I just couldn't resist the chuckles. I said, 30 years we've been doing this, but I'm so happy you're catching on. Because if you've been around a long time, the same mainstream, when we were doing it, were calling us names. You're weird Christians. You shouldn't be doing that. People have private, personal lives. And they were, they were making fun of us. And they were po- now like, hey, discipleship partners. And I, just, I had to chuckle. I had to chuckle. Men like Francis Chan are now saying what Paul is saying. Men like, men like David Platt. People are catching on to what the Bible is actually saying. So today's sermon is a short sermon because it's to the point. Think back at your own baptism. Was it, does it match the Bible? Because when you get baptized, you get the Holy Spirit. So one of the things we do is when we sit down with you or someone who's in the Bible, we ask you, when were you baptized? And people say five. When were you a Christian? When I was born. When, were, when did you receive the Holy Spirit? When I was 13. And it's everywhere. It actually happens in one moment. When you repent and are baptized. So today, as we look at the Bible, as we see our own life compared to that, where are you at? Because Peter closes out his sermon like this. And with many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them. Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized. 
And about 3,000 were added to their number that day. I always wondered, how do you baptize 3,000 people in a day anyway? It's a lot of people. Well, in the Jewish religion, they have a lot of ceremonial baths all around Jerusalem. And that's where they went. And 3,000 were baptized in one day. They repented and they responded. But their hearts were pricked. And I'm not sure if your heart is pricked or not. But my heart was sure pricked. Because my baptism didn't match that baptism. My baptism was completely different. I was actually eight years old. And I went to a fountain. I stepped forward and I got splashed in the face with some water. <laughs> and then I got some presents. And then I had my favorite meal at home. And I was pretty fired up. And then I was 22 years old. And I read that passage. And I knew my world was just rocked. As they say today, shook. And I had to make, a, an, I had to make an adult decision. Am I going to hang on to my past? Or am I going to face my new future? Because this made, it passed the smell test. It passed the common sense test. It passed all my tests. It just says it. Did I do it? No. When they asked me, are you a Christian? I said, no. They asked me, are you a disciple? I said, no. They said, what do you want to do about it? I want to get saved. It's very simple for me. I was in community college and I figured that out. It's amazing. I knew something was wrong. But the timing that God had for me was perfect. Because I just ended a relationship, or I was in a relationship relation with, with a girl that I had impregnated. And I was scared. And I did something I thought I would never do. And that is abort my child. And I share that with you because it was one of the greatest regrets of my life. I have two teenagers today. Should have three. But I have two. So the timing for me, seeing that, being in a biology class, happened to be going over the, back then, they don't do it now because it scares too many kids, but they put fetuses in jars. And you got to see it the weeks. They don't dare do that now at colleges. The timing couldn't have been more perfect. But that passage, when it says, save yourself from this corrupt generation, I was that corrupt generation. So my, my, my vision for the church is to save your generation. Because it's corrupt. And people, for lack of my slang, need a saving. They need it. But it's up to you. We're the disciples. We're the people. Let's fill these rows and show them these passages. And people will turn to God. That is the call of the church. The origin of Christianity is they took over the Roman Empire. They changed everything. And we can change 
our world too. One person in our lifetime can become a Christian. You can meet someone and God can make them a Christian. But we just got to pay attention to how corrupt our generation is so we can turn to our friends and our coworkers and we can ask them to study the Bible. Ask them over for dinner. Invite them into your life and show them what is being taught in the Bible and from the Bible. And with that, let's be the church that God calls us to be. Thank you for your time this afternoon.